thank you all for turning into the Women Who Wow series here on Your Edge podcast. I'm Julie Johnson, and I'm joined by Jenna Stanley, who I've worked with for the past couple years here at Zebra Technologies. Jenna is the Senior Vice President of Services and Customer Success here at Zebra, which means she leads the core and software-as-a-service customer success organization, as well as all portfolio and delivery teams for professional support and managed services. What's been so great about Jenna is that she's had such a success. She's been able to um, increase the gross margin over 15 percentage points. The other thing, though, you don't think of the services business as a as a degree or a function and, and when you go to college. It's not a major. And sort of like product management, program management, these are all such crucial careers, but you don't go to school for them. So it's really interesting to me on you know, what is the career path to be able to get a position like Jenna? And, you know, what, how was, did she get to where she's at? Was it certain decisions she made? Was it certain jobs she took in her past? You know, how was she able to get to where she's at and be able to be such a great, great contributor to Zebra today? So, Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Julie. So, I thought kind of before we get to your role and what's made you successful. It's like, how did you start? And, you know, when you were a little girl and, you know, thinking about what you want to do someday, you know, what were your thoughts and what kind of drove you to where you went in your undergrad majors? Sure. Well, I didn't have the path I thought I would have when I was a little girl. When I was in second grade, I wrote a letter to Dartmouth telling them that's where I was going to go to college and I wanted to go there and be a lawyer. So <laughs> I ended up going, you know, far, far down south to Duke and majored in psychology and economics. So a slightly different path than what I thought I wanted as a little girl. And even once I got into the work industry, you know, mine was maybe not a linear path. I started in operations at Sprint. I moved into product management and then moved from product management, more of a traditional hardware side, into uh, services. But one of the things that I think was important in my path was I, I had some opportunities where I leveraged some company changes uh, to go into some areas where they needed new help. And I was willing to uh, take some risks and enter those new areas. So that gave me some opportunities. Uh, I was able to leverage some, you know, dynamic business changes um, when Nortel got acquired by Avaya in my career path. And uh, I, I had some outside help from a coach to take the courage to um, go in and ask to run the entire services business as we reorganized for that acquisition. And um, that was a big turning point for me in the career. Um, so having some help taking some risks and finding some courage to ask for some some jobs where I may not have been the um, top candidate, but successfully influenced my way there. Um, those were some of the things that got me to, to where I am today. I think, though, it's great because you are known for taking initiatives and being gutsy and not afraid. And clearly that letter that second grader wrote kind of indicated <laughs> uh, your path. So I think that's that's terrific. Um you know, you, you spent so many years focused on on the operations and the product management and everything um, and ultimately moving into services. But what 
you know, what is your sweet spot? Obviously, taking taking chances, you know, taking initiatives, being gutsy. But but what else is it about you that makes you tick? Yeah. Um. You know, one of the things I'm sort of come to learn about myself is I, I do um, I do like to problem solve and I like to um, drive some transformation and um, you know I I would say you know, transformation is a theme throughout all the types of jobs I've had. I've come into either less mature businesses and helped define and transform them, or um, in some cases, challenged businesses like um, where services was headed when I came into Zebra to to do some turnaround work. Um, So for me, you know, I like to, to find some opportunities to help with transformation and problem solving. But I've also learned in, in terms of my personality and what makes me tick, that I'm a I'm a connector. Um, for those of you that have read any of Malcolm Gladwell's work, like Tipping Point, <laughs> um, you know I those books and his writing really resonates with me. I'm a I'm a connector, so working in areas where I can work with a wide pool of other business functions and divisions, which services is a very um, strong area where that's important because you're supporting all the product business units, you're working tightly with supply chain, you know, that's an area where I, I find energy and, and maybe a sweet spot. So Jenna, um, talking about the importance of being a connector, um, obviously, you know, being, um, uh, you know, willing to take initiatives, you know, that is something else, you know, what, what do you think um, are maybe, uh, attributes or characteristics, personality, or um, even uh, previous jobs, you know, what, what do you think it takes to really be um, successful in services? And maybe what kind of person do you think, um, if, if you're there looking at services, what would make them think that they could do well there? Sure. Uh, you know, I think whether whether people are interested in services or customer success, I think both jobs are really oriented around a couple key mindsets and skill sets. Um, I think both uh, collaboration is critical. You have to collaborate with the product teams, the sales specialists and account managers, and, and certainly some of the other functional teams to be successful. You've got to be very good at problem solving. Um, you know, one of the things that's fascinating about services is you're ultimately helping the customer um, drive technology into their business to solve a problem. Um, and oftentimes you're working on lifecycle problems throughout that technology deployment. So you've got to be interested um, and willing to drive creative problem solving. And sometimes that means you've also got to be resilient. Um, many of the things around customer support and managed services arise when customers are having challenges and therefore, you know, you've got to not only problem solve, you've got to, you've got to be resilient in terms of knowing, you know, that's, that's when the customer is, needs us most is in times of, of trouble. <laughs> so um, being able to be resilient, I think is a, um, a, a key area where we continue to train people and give them more skills, but it's also something I think people who are going to be successful um, can bring to the table in both jobs as they work with customers through the life cycle. 
So those are, I think, important things. Yeah, are there current um, certain backgrounds that you recommend, like having been in product management or engineering or sales or operations, or um, or do you just look for, you know, a whole assortment of people like that? I think because of the cross-functional nature of both roles, I think having some outside breadth um, in marketing or product, BU product management or services product management. Um, or, you know, sales, sales operations. Those are areas where I think you have a better understanding of how to help get, get help to problem solve, um, as well as understand more of the resources available, um, to help solve problems. So I think any of those disciplines adds value in giving people better networks to problem solve and better perspective. So speaking more, now really talking about your current um, organization, um, it seems like there's obviously the the biggest dollars today are in the more traditional services organization, but that's where you've just made this enormous growth and enormous improvement in, in margin dollars. You know, where, what are kind of the key areas of focus right now in that part of your business? Like what are the things that you worry about and the things that you're most excited about for growth. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'll, um, I think one of the reasons we've been successful, and I'm, I'm going to pull something right out of your prior podcast that Jane said that resonated with me, which is, um, you know, all of us are born with two ears and one mouth, and we should use them proportionately. And one of the things that's made us successful is we've um, implemented some new purposeful roles like regional product managers mirroring the product BU um, model to listen more to what our end users and channel partners want from us to be successful. That's been a key to helping us redesign our processes and portfolio to grow. And as we merged the customer success and services organizations together, we now have twice as many ears out there um, and an even stronger avenue to connect to our end user customers to to understand their life cycle needs. So I'm excited not only about helping the customer success teams bring all of Zebra closer to the customer and driving those feedback loops, but also um, using more of that um, information and insight to drive services growth as well. So where where do you see kind of the growth, you know, over the next two years coming from? Obviously, this customer success organization is going to give you, um, hopefully, these ears and bunch of ideas. But do you sort of have a sense where you think that will be? Sure. I think there's a few a few levers. I'd say, you know, maybe I'll talk about three. Although there's probably a dozen. Um, you know, one is we're continuing to learn which customers. Are, um, need more help in their post-sales service framework, and we're driving some new momentum in our managed service business. And, you know, I think there are some customers where we can help them outsource more of that work to us. And that's one area of growth. And as we look at all the analytics we're bringing to bear in that offer, whether they're from work we're doing together in Device Tracker or Visibility IQ Foresight or work we're just bringing into the Savannah portfolio that's helping us add more value there. So that's one area of growth. I think another area of growth comes from 
just being able to help cross-sell, upsell more. Some areas where we've seen uh, um, our ability to take data and turn that into um, sales that really are um, welcome by the customer um, is where we can look at things like um, product usage data and say, you know, wow, you know, we noticed that you're um, utilizing your devices um, more heavily in this use case, but it's driving damage. So maybe you need new accessories, boots or lanyards or other things that can help them be more successful. Or we can look at data around uh, a solution like um, a task manager and understand that they're uh, using their SaaS software task manager uh, solution to drive more tasks around inventory replenishment, and that can lead us down a lead generation for our Zebra uh, predictive analytics, formerly known as Profitect inventory management solution. So we're learning how to take more of our data insights that we get during the service and customer success lifecycle and turn those into customer turn those customer opportunities and problems into sales opportunities. So you know we use a lot of our service data. Um, to help improve the customer operations, but we're starting to use more of it now to help us also sell. So kind of um, changing um, uh, kind of the, the, the conversation here, um, talking about you yourself, again, looking back at your career, um, you know, are there's, there's so many times we talk about everything you did right, because clearly you did so many things right, um, I think there's a lot to learn from, um, you know, things you might have done differently or different decisions you could have made or maybe how you acted in situations that might have impacted your career differently. Um, do you have any any stories or things that you might have done differently if you could? Sure. You know, if I if I look back, um, you know, I think. That there are probably. um a few items um, that, I, in hindsight, I, I would have done differently. One item was around risk management and communicating that clearly. So back in my sort of mid-career, and we were doing a major transformation of our service portfolio. Um, it was timed um, to also. Um, correspond with a really large IT transformation the company was doing. And I think in hindsight, I think the the risk of both programs impacting the business at the same time was very different than us looking at the risks of each separately. Um, and we didn't do enough cross collaboration on managing that risk and communicating it clearly um, and dialoguing that through with our uh, go-to-market teams, both internal and channel. So, you know, that wasn't that didn't work as successfully. Um, and some of the interrelated problems of that launch caused caused a, you know, I'd say probably that was maybe the poorest execution experience I can think of in my career. Um, but when we talk about resilience, I think the important thing was. I've used that experience to help think about how to approach change in other 
experiences differently. So if I think about the big transition we did from uh, moving away from uh, uh, our repair vendor in Mexico to insourcing that business or moving away from that vendor to a new vendor in CTI back in the you know last three to four years, um, we did a lot of socialization of risk. We did a lot of collaboration with our IT teams and other partners. Um, and while there were challenges in some of those programs, everybody understood what those risks were. We had socialized them and we had um, built in contingency plans to, you know, get through them. Um, you know, were there things that could have gone better? Sure. I think that's always um, going to be the case as you execute really big um Corporate-wide global transformations, but um, I, I feel like at least what I was, uh, what I learned in the past from failure, was able to help me more successful um, in future engagements. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that I look for in leaders in general, no matter what business I'm hiring for, is that ability to learn, take those learnings, be resilient, and grow um, in terms of your leadership and business acumen. So I think that's. You know, that's an example of um, something I wish I'd done differently, but, um, you know, a learning. Um, that's learning from failure, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and then I think maybe the only other thing, and, you know, maybe this will take our conversation in a little different direction. You know, one of the other things I would have done differently is at one point um, in my past um, pre-Zebra experience, I was working in a company where the culture was, really toxic. <laughs> um, and I stayed because I was committed to some of my, you know, organization, to my boss, and I'm persistent. Um, but I think in hindsight, I think I would have made a change earlier. Um, because once I left, I realized just how um, maybe unhappy that role um, made me. And leaving you know, and having that perspective being out of it, um, you know, maybe I would have made a change earlier to to um, find a company with a culture more like Zebras, um, where you know there, it was just a, it's just a more productive, energetic um, place to to work. So why what make why do you think it took you so long to make a move? Um, you know, I think par- partly. Um, Sometimes we all get so busy doing our job, <laughs> we don't make the bandwidth for development or personal balance. Um, you know, I think that was certainly part of it. There was a lot going on, um, and um, that was part of it. The other part is, you know, I I enjoyed a lot of the people I worked with, and I felt committed to the success of my organization. But, you know, at some point, you, you have to also, you know, enjoy what you're doing, not just at the professional level, but at the cultural level. So, um, you know, I think those were the two things that kept me there longer. What, so, so talk to me more about the zebra culture. I, I think this is something we, we probably should talk more about because everyone's always, we're so busy, we're so busy. But, you know, what, what are some of the things about the zebra culture that you enjoy the most and, and find makes you the most productive? One thing I, I, noticed right away um, is the desire to actually um, talk about and recognize culture as something important. And um, I think that's sort of the first step to having a good culture is actually recognizing it's important. 
I started the week that Zebra kicked off Leaders in Action. Um, and it was odd because there's no one in the office. The entire 250 person executive team was in Leaders in Action and I was in Lincolnshire all by myself. <laughs> but the fact that my first experience was that the, the executive team had committed that type of investment to the program and then you know, spent two years rolling it out to everybody was just a breath of fresh air. Um, so, you know, what a what a great way to start. Um, and I think that investment, that dialogue, that willingness to um, talk about it is is a great um, a great sense of freedom to speak speak our minds here at Zebra. You know, I think the other thing that I continue to find is the team culture. Um, we talked about one zebra when we finished the TSA exit after the Motorola piece, but I feel like that's how we've been operating much at a much higher level than just the IT staff for back office and front office systems. I feel like the leadership teams operate as one zebra working towards our customers' satisfaction, you know, whether it's you know, our marketing message or the way we sort of run the business together. I, I find in almost all instances, everybody's working together towards the same business objective and customer objective, not individual silos. Now, we're human. <laughs> um, I was a psychology and economics major. So there's, you know, there's no doubt people can't be there 100% all the time. But I think for the majority of issues, the majority of the time, and when it really counts, we all, everybody puts Zebra first um, and the customer first and their individual silos second. And that's, um, you know, I've worked in four pretty large enterprise companies, and I think that's um, unusual and and really desirable. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's actually the, my favorite uh, what I enjoy most about Zebra really is that part of the culture. I 100% agree with you. I, I, um, and I think it's great that we recognize that. So, um, you know, we've talked kind of about your past and your present. Um, what about kind of future? You know, what are there things yet yet you haven't done? And um, dare we say things you still might want to do? <laughs> um, you know, what have have you put thought to that? Sure. Because I'm sure yeah. a lot of people would look at you saying, you've done it. You're there. Um, but is there more? Um, well, my husband might say sometimes I think I've know, done it all and know it all, but that's certainly not the case. And, uh, you know, for me, I don't know that there's anything I want to do that's dramatically different. I don't want to quit my job and open a restaurant. I don't do much cooking. He does most of our cooking. I don't want to, um, you know, go off and um, run a marathon. But I, um, you know, I, I find I enjoy continuing to build adjacent accountabilities and to learn new things. So for me, you know, the addition of the more formal customer success organization last June has brought with it a ton of incremental learning, you know, getting closer to the customers. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to continue to spend more time in the field with our customers and, um, you know, drive more impact to our sales um, top line. 
Um, but I don't see me doing anything dramatically different. Um, I like to just keep learning. And um, that's an exciting thing about the role is we learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, especially with all the customer interface, every single customer, I'm learning something. That's for sure. That's right. Yep. So um, I guess then just getting a little more personal, too, is just, you know, we all work these crazy hours, crazy jobs. You wake up in the middle of the night, I'm sure, thinking about something. What What is it that recharges you? Is there Are there certain things you do, certain people you meet with? What What's the little bit that keeps you firing on all cylinders? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I love to do is uh, to travel. Um, and, you know, I think one of the benefits of working for a global company and having a global team is I get to go out on the road to see our customers and to see uh, our teams. That's been a little harder to do in the last few years, but it's been really energizing since last fall to be able to get back out on the road, and, um, spend more time both with the Zebra teams out in, in our, you know, regions um, and whether that's being out in Mexico City or in Brno or in Singapore or Penang. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things I like to do both for work and personally. Um, so that recharges my batteries, getting to, you know, be out there. And while there's lots of diversity, even in Lincolnshire, being out in the uh, on the road brings that home even more tightly. Um, you know, personally, I, you know, I read a lot. And some of, some of the things I enjoy reading are, you know, uh, leadership books like Gladwell, some of them are, um, you know, tech pubs, not heavy tech pubs, but I love Wired. It's like my non-engineering version of innovation, um, you know, and then I, I read a lot of escape fiction. <laughs> um, so if there's a if there's a uh, spy story or writer out there, I've probably read them. So you'll find my bookcases full of Grisham and <laughs> um, Grisham and Clancy and all those sorts of uh, authors as well. Kind of lets me uh, set set all the day to day aside for a few hours. So yeah, and of course, what you're reading is fast paced, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> so I guess um so um I really appreciate um you spending the time with me and um I I personally love to always hear people's journeys and and kind of the different paths they've taken. Um, are there any kind of uh, last-minute thoughts that you would give to, you know, some of our um, uh, earlier career uh, um, folks that we work with on, you know, sort of as you look forward in your career, these are kind of the top things that I would give you advice um, to, to, you know, to kind of reach for where you want to get to. Yeah. Um you know, I, I, the number one piece of advice I would give people is it never hurts to ask. <laughs> and that's really a simple way to say it. But if there's a role you're interested in, um, and I think this, again, Jane had a little bit of similar advice as well, right? Um, you know, if, even if it's a stretch role, you may not have all the items in your background that are in the job description, you know, focus on your strengths and, and, you know, be willing to, to take the risk and have the courage to go, you know, stretch for it, apply for it, you know, uh, in some cases, you know, fight for that role that you're interested in. Cause I do think we need more people to, 
cross-pollinate and get that experience to move out of their comfort zones. Um, and it helps us have a more diverse perspective in all our business units, and it helps us grow. So um, I encourage people to, you know, take a little more risk and be a little more vocal about, you know, those next career moves they're interested in. So I love that. Don't be afraid to ask. <laughs> Good, good message. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everyone else who tuned back into our new um, Women Who Wow podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you again, Jennifer, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you. Well, thank you too, Julie. I appreciate it.